Well, I'm going to ask a question that you don't need to raise your hand because I already know the answer, okay? But it'll get the ball rolling. Is there anybody here who has some kind of nagging issue in their life? Now, don't nudge your spouse, your, you know, your kids or your parents. I didn't say nagging people. I said nagging issues. Nagging issues. They used to, the old-fashioned way of saying that was besetting sins. Besetting sins. Besetting meaning things that just kind of hang on. You never seem to get past them. They're annoying. They're persistent. And, and does anybody have some of those? And I'm sure we all have some, a few at least. If, I'm, I'm serious. If you don't think you have one, just ask a loved one or relative, and they will, they'll give you a list. There's, there's something hanging on that we would like to deal with in our lives. And God's a master doing that as we cooperate with him in, in dealing with these things. But the, the amount of sins or weights that can trouble us human beings are almost innumerable. And I use that phrase, sin or weight, because the Bible does. In Romans, or not Romans, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, uh, by the way, set up for 12th chapters is Hebrews 11th chapter, which is most of your Bibles will have a headline in, in Hebrews 11 that's called the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. And so there's these men and women all mentioned in Hebrews 11 that have just been going after God and seeing miraculous things happen, and it's called the Hall of Faith. And then it starts out in Romans, in Hebrews 12. I do like Romans 12 as well, but Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, the therefore is there since we're picking up on Hebrews 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd, by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So we got this huge crowd in Hebrews 11, and since we're surrounded by all that, uh, it says, let us lay aside, let us put down, take off, strip off every weight, and especially the sin that so easily, depending upon your translation, trips us up, ensnares us, entangles us. And let us run with, with endurance, with perseverance, the race God has marked out for us, that he's laid out for us. You and I, as Christians, and if you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to know Jesus today before you walk out the door. If you're a believer, God, is, God has a, a race marked out for you. Even if you're an unbeliever, I believe God has a race marked out for everybody. They, we just need to get on the right track. We need to get on his track and run his race. There's a race marked out for us. And it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so in marathon races, uh, we're very particular about how weighty things are. I mean, you don't see people running in a marathon race if they have any desire to win in a pair of high-top basketball shoes that, because those would be too weighty. Uh, they, they, they want, you know, the lightest weight, the best, so it's everything. I mean, the shirt, the shorts, everything is designed to be as, as light as possible because they, they know they're in for a long, long run. And so we're in for a long run, so it's a good run. And so just, you know, set aside the, the weight and sin, especially the sin that so easily entangles us and ensnares us and traps us. That, that's important for us because we got a, a race to run. And there are things that are not sins, but they are weights. They're hindrances. Uh, to use the cultural phrase, here's the, here's the end, end thing now. They're keeping us from being our best selves, our most authentic selves. But I think our most authentic selves, it's a cool line, but our most authentic self is a life that's devoted to Jesus. Amen. He's the one who knows how to do life. So he wants us to get on the race with him, run the race with him. And when we do that, we really become our truest self 
when we get to know Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. So we're going to deal with these nagging, besetting, these persistent sins that are in our lives because I'm going to operate under the assumption that all of us would like to be free. And so we're going to keep moving forward. Now, this is not meant to be discouraging, but I can tell you this from experience, that I've seen things in my life I need to deal with, so I get real focused on it, and I deal with it, and you kind of feel like it's been looming over your life for a long time, so you really are deceived into thinking, man, once I conquer this, I'm done. And so you just, you get victory over that through Jesus and through the Spirit of God, and then you see two more things. And you think, oh man, I thought that was, no, it was just hiding behind that one. But that's okay. All of our lives, we're on a journey of being made more Christ-like and being conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus, and that's all right. So we're going to move forward to, for being free. Now, this message founds inspiration in a story that almost everybody knows around the world, regardless of whether they're church people or not. It's the story of David and Goliath. We even use the phrase, like if there's a little tiny company in competition with the massive global company, we'll say phrase, you'll see this on the news, oh my goodness, this is like a David and Goliath story, because the little person after the big person, that, that conflict that's going on there. Well, it's a wonderful story, and we're going to learn things from this, how to have victory over nagging things in our lives, over giants in our lives, because David does some things that the scripture tells in the New Testament that they are designed to teach us, these stories are designed to teach us and examples for us on what to do and what not to do, so we're going to glean from the story. We're not going to read the whole thing today because I think people understand what the story is, but I want you to know where it's at. It's in 1 Samuel 17th chapter. That's where you would go to to read this whole story, and it's a wonderful story of David and Goliath. Well, Goliath is a monster of a man, if you remember the story. I mean, he is truly a giant of a man. And the scripture says that he was 9 foot 6 inches tall. Now, to put that in perspective... The average height of a, of a man in the United States of America is, is 5 feet 9 inches. That's the average height. And I'm, I'm 6'2", and 6'2", is very little compared to 9'6". In fact, if you would stack up Shaquille O'Neal, if you don't know who he is, a retired basketball player, huge man, Shaquille O'Neal, he would be small compared to Goliath. So I want to throw up here, I did some measurements here. I've got Goliath here. This is, this is Goliath. If he were standing here on the stage, that would be 9 feet 6 inches, right about there. You can see, I don't know if his head was that wide, I was just going for the height there, that he'd be 9 feet 6 inches tall. That's somewhat intimidating. It would be for me if I was going out to fight somebody. I, I don't really want to fight somebody five foot tall, let alone nine feet, six inches tall. Because I always figure out in the fight, somebody always gets hurt. And I don't want it to be me, so I don't want to get involved in it. So here it is, nine feet, six inches tall, a monster of a man, a giant of a man. And God shows us some things how to have victory. So today, I want us to just be saying this. I want us to be saying with this message, goodbye, Goliath. You have some Goliaths in your life, and I want to say goodbye, Goliath. And so we have David, as a photo, I think, no, excuse me, not a photo of David. Uh, that would be, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? There's a uh, painting of David here stepping on Goliath's head, getting ready to, if you don't know the story, it's really pretty gruesome. He's getting ready to chop off his head. So, so let's chop off the head of the giants that want to hold us down in our lives. Oh, by the way, we're talking spiritual things, okay? I want you to know that we're not talking about human beings, we're talking about spiritual things. So... 
the first thing we see in the story with David and Goliath that will help you have victory over things that want to hold on to you is that you need to focus on the reward. You need to focus on the reward. There's reward once you figure out, hold on, I need to deal with this thing in my life. You have to quit thinking of what little pleasure the thing gives you, and you need to see the big reward of letting it go, of getting rid of it. Or maybe it could be something that God wants you to add to your life, but one thing or the other, we, we want to see the reward of that. And David definitely looked at the reward. God has no problem with that. Many times with sincere hearts and good hearts, we say things like this, I don't care about the reward, I don't care about the benefit, I just love God, I want to obey him, I want to honor him, I want to do what he says. I want to say it's fantastic, awesome, I love it, I love that heart, I think we should keep a heart like that, but I want you to know this, God's the one who came up with the reward system. God's the one who came up with that. David, the one we're talking about today in Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. Don't forget all of his rewards. So rewards are all throughout the Bible. I mean, the Bible says, if you're willing and obedient, you will enjoy the good of the land. Now, don't you think it could be said, honestly, that God could say, I want you to be willing and obedient. And if we said, what's in it for me, it'd be okay if God said, nothing, but just be willing and obedient, because I'm God, you're not, and I told you to. That would be, I'd say yes, sir, to that. But God's so wonderful, he says, be willing and obedient and you'll eat, you'll enjoy the good of the land. Uh, James tells us that if we won't just hear the word, but we'll hear and do the word, we'll be blessed in all of our deeds, in everything we do. Isn't that interesting? The reward system that's put in there by God. There's all kinds of things. Uh, Jesus actually washed the disciples' feet. He volunteered for the job, if you remember the story. Nobody else would. Nobody else was going to wash feet. It was way beneath them. But Jesus got out, up, took off his outer garment, clothed himself with a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet. When he was done, he said this, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, because that's what I am. So if I, teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, if I have served you, if I have volunteered, you know, a lot of times in organizations, we don't volunteer, we just wait to get drafted. I want to say, don't wait to get drafted, just go ahead and volunteer. He volunteered to wash their feet, to serve them, and he said, If you do this, if you volunteer, if you serve, you will be blessed. Interesting. All these blessings connected to doing the things of God. We know this. We bring Jesus our broken down, beat up lives. And when we give them to him, he gives us eternal life. Uh, a return. Well, in, in business, they always talk about an ROI, a return on investment. That's an incredible return on investment. You give him your beat up, broken down, sin sick, hell bound life. And he gives you eternal life with him. So there's all kinds of things. Given it shall be given unto you. I mentioned that one earlier. Good measure pressed down, shaken together. It's interesting how God does all this. It, it's, it's fascinating. God likes to reward. The Bible even says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The scripture says that the first commandment with a promise, I think every parent should put a poster of this up in their house. It says, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment connected with a reward so that all may go well with you and you'll live a long life on the earth. Isn't that a blessing? A return on our investment to obey God. So the list is kind of endless of all the things that God rewards us for. And David begins first in this story. You can check it out later, read it for yourself. This does not diminish David's heart. This didn't bother God at all. But I'm telling you how the story unfolds in Scripture. David shows up 
He goes from his home. His father gives him goods for his brothers and for their commanders. And when he shows up, the Philistines are on one side of the valley and the Israelites are on the other. And every morning and every evening, a nine-foot-six giant of a man comes out and defies the armies of Israel and says, send out a champion and let us fight. Now, here's the rule. If I, Goliath, win, then you Israelites will be our servants. And if your champion wins, then we, the Philistines, will be your servants. So there's the, there's the challenge. David sees this. The Bible says that all of Israel fled when he came out to do that. Nobody wanted to get stuck up in the line. You know how you're in a line like this and everybody leaves and you're out there like, oh my goodness, I didn't volunteer. <laughs> so everybody runs when Goliath comes out so no one gets confused to think they're going out for the fight. David hears, he's troubled by it, but then he overhears something. Gospel truth, this is the story. He overhears some people talking, says, why don't, they, why don't somebody take care of this giant? Because if they do, the king will give them great wealth, his daughter's hand in marriage, so you'll be in the royal family, and that's not a bad gig to be in the royal family, and your family will be tax-exempt in Israel. David hears that, perks up, and he goes over and inquires to somebody else and says, now, now tell me, what will be done for the person who kills this giant? Well, they'll receive great wealth, they'll get the daughter's hand in marriage, and their family will be tax-exempt in Israel. A third time, he goes to check this out. He says, I just want to make this clear. Maybe he remembered the Mosaic law. Everything should be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So he goes over and asks a third time, what will be done for the person? They'll receive great wealth. They'll get the daughter's hand in marriage, the king's daughter's hand in marriage, and they'll be tax exempt. All of a sudden, David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? I can take care of this guy. Well, the news gets back to Saul, and Saul meets with him, and David convinces him that he's the man for the job and he goes out for the fight. So I want to tell you, don't be afraid to focus on the reward. Don't be afraid to focus on the reward. God gives them and they are designed to help motivate us. We're all motivated by reward. And so these rewards God gives, he, he knows how we're made, he created us. So the first thing I want you to do following the the story of David and Goliath is don't forget, look at the giant you need to slay and say, what will be done for me if I slay this giant? Figure out what that reward is. Figure out what that blessing is. Figure out what that benefit is, and that'll help you move forward. Now, the second thing is be prepared. Now, this is where we lose it, okay? This is where we don't get as excited. We get excited about the wealth, the daughter's hand in marriage, and tax exemption, I mean, think how well you would live if you were on everything in life was tax-exempt. And so the next one, though, is you need to be prepared for a fight. You're going to slay a giant? Be prepared for a fight. And something else you don't like, I don't either, be prepared to suffer in your flesh. Be prepared to suffer in your flesh. Be prepared for the fight and be prepared to suffer in your flesh. That's what will happen. Sometimes we suffer because we actually we got two things going on. We, we hate our sin, and we kind of love it too. Because sin brings pleasure for a season. And so we kind of struggle with our own want to to not do this, whatever it is that it might be. And so we have to remember that there's something bigger and better in God. So what is that bigger, better reward? Because there's a bigger pleasure, there's a bigger reward for doing this thing right, for slaying that giant. You know, the scripture says that 
in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Not temporary pleasures. There's pleasures forevermore at his right hand. And so we begin to go, okay, I'm not going to sacrifice pleasures forevermore for a temporary pleasure that the scripture says sin will produce. But we've got to be ready to fight, and we've got to be ready to suffer in our flesh. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. It says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. We forget these aspects about Christianity. You must be prepared to suffer too. Now, the people who wrote these things, these apostles and disciples, they had suffered true physical pain. Paul had, I always get them confused, Paul had been beaten with rods, I think it was five times or seven, and he received the 39 lashes, the 40 minus 1 is either 5 or 7, I get those two confused. Now I want you to think about this. You've probably all seen a movie where Jesus receives the 39 lashes. And it breaks our heart and we wonder how a person will even survive. It was designed by the Romans. They, they Truthfully, from what I studied, 40 would almost always kill a man. But 39 would leave him barely alive. So then he'd go and experience the second death of crucifixion. And so it was, it was kind of a science. I'm sure they lost a few, but that was the stats came in. The, the, most people can barely survive 39. You know, Paul received that either five or seven times. Wow. I mean, I can't even imagine that. So be prepared to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. If you can receive a beating like that multiple times, sin has no hold over you. Oof, that's nothing. You're going to overcome sin? I've suffered in my flesh. He was, Paul was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked twice. He spent a day and night in the sea. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. That's just a few of the things that went on in his life. And he had learned how to suffer in his flesh. But then what happens, it says, once we have suffered in our flesh, we're finished with sin. Now, most of us are not going to receive that kind of punishment for our Christian faith. But we should be prepared to if we must. See, we live in a very sheltered world, but there's other people who have died for their faith. Well, they'll do it this week. There'll be people who will be brutally murdered for their testimony of Jesus. Some will be tortured, some will be imprisoned. We are not facing that, other people are, but we might someday. So we need to arm ourselves with the same attitude. But I can tell you what everybody does suffer in. When they say no to sin and yes to God, their flesh cries out. Your flesh and my flesh is babyfied. It wants our way. It wants what we want, when we want, how we want, with whom we want, where we want. It just wants, wants, wants. All of us have experienced, maybe all of us have even been the two-year-old in the cart going through the line, and they see something shiny, they see a toy, they see a lollipop, they see a piece of candy, they see something, and they want it. You've all seen it, right? And you've all heard it. And the child says, you know, I want that. And the parent says, no. And bloody murder, screaming, fighting, yelling. I mean, I've almost bought stuff for kids. Just, okay, this will just shut you up here. We'll get, Give them one of everything if they'll be quiet. But that's what happens, that our flesh says, I want what I want. And it screams and cries and yells. And when you say no to sin, yes to God, your flesh will do the same thing. It'll cry, it'll whine, it'll do this and that. And usually it keeps crying and whining until somebody caves. My parents were awful cavers. They never caved. But you would, when you got home, suffer in your flesh. That really was true. Uh, my my parents were not abusive, I never got beaten, I never got, but they, they weren't afraid to spank, and they did spank, and, 
And most of the time, it wasn't really that painful, but it was painful to be disciplined by people whom you love with all your heart who are disappointed in you. And so there's all the, that that came together, and uh, we would be disciplined, and we would suffer in our flesh. So David's prepared for a fight, and he's prepared that he might do a little suffering. It's rare. I mean, this is, a, this is an awesome fight here, but most, most warriors have some battle scars. They didn't go out to battle and just always come back. Remember Muhammad Ali? He always say, look at this face. Look how pretty it is. That's because nobody ever touches it. You know, most people aren't like Muhammad Ali. You know, of course, it got touched up a little bit too. Uh, there's, there's battle scars. And so David goes, and he picks up five stones. Now, there's some cute reasons for why he picked up five stones. I've heard this one over and over and over, which is probably not true, but it's kind of cool. Goliath had four brothers, so there's five giants. So he said, you got a stone for every giant. But if you read the story, he doesn't fight any other giants. He doesn't kill the other giants. They're killed by, by Israel eventually, but not all killed by the hand of David. <clears throat> My belief is he picked up five stones because he's going for a fight. He doesn't know that he's going to hit him with his first shot. You know, if you're Wyatt Earp and you're in the Old West and, you know, Snidely Whiplash has come into town and, you know, he's challenged you to a gunfight, I bet you load up the six-shooter with all six shells in there, don't you? All the bullets are in there. You don't say, I just need one. No, you're going for a fight. So you load it up. He's loaded it up. The archers went into battle with their quivers full. You know, David goes there with five stones in his bag ready to fight. He really doesn't know. Seriously, he doesn't know. He knows this. Here's the one thing he knows. I'm going to win. That's what he knows. He really doesn't know. I'm serious from Scripture. He might get in a hand-to-hand combat with this 9-foot, 6-inch thing. And you know what he knows? He's going to win. That's all we know. So he's ready to go for, go for the fight. He's prepared. He's got everything he needs to go for the fight. So load up your pack of rocks and get ready to go for the fight. There's some things I read probably two or three years ago, and I'm seeing it a lot now. It's in the psychology of how the brain's made up. It's really fascinating. But your brain, when you do things habitually and you create a habit pattern, your brain actually cuts a neural pathway to make those connections. And the good news is those neural pathways can be broken or rerouted, but they make neural pathways. So, And they're not all bad. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But if you... Um, Here's what, let's say you go to bed at night, and when you lie in bed, your thoughts begin to be dark. You start foreboding, you start thinking of everything go wrong, you start worrying, you start fretting. You'll notice that you've done that multiple times. You've actually created a neural pathway in your brain, and, and when you lay down, it triggers, it's time now to worry. It's time now to fret. It's time now to sense all these foreboding things that might happen to you. If you get up every morning and your routine is to grab the paper and get a cup of coffee, sit down on the couch and read that and have a cup of coffee, if you do that long enough, there's a routine. When you pop out of bed, you're not saying to yourself, uh, am I going to shower now or brush my teeth or make breakfast? No, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get the paper, you're going to get a cup of coffee, you're going to sit on the couch because your brain has actually created a neuropathway. Now, to break that and restructure it will require a fight. And so, just using the one lying down in bed because it's easy, You'll go down, you'll lie down in bed, and immediately, oh, man, this could happen, that could happen, this is going to be awful. No, 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 no. Every time I lie down in bed, I'm going to drift off to sleep praying and praising. And so you begin to lie there and you begin to pray. And when you first start, your, your neural pathway will say, it's not time to pray, it's time to worry. 
it's time to fret. Well, think what might happen to, to Aunt Joni. And you go, I'll tell you what, Aunt Joni, I just bless you, I pray for you, and you begin to pray. And if you'll fight, eventually your, your, your brain will send a signal that when you lie down, it says, it's time to pray now. It's time to praise God. It's time to give thanks to the Lord. But it takes fight and energy because the way of least resistance is just to do what you've always done. But we want to change. We want to fight. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, God was way ahead of that. By the renewing of our mind, our mind gets renewed and gets transformed. And it carves out, cuts out fresh neural pathways where you now have different habit patterns. And those bad ones can be broken. Sadly, good ones can be broken too, but we want to... We want to restore and keep strong the good ones and break the bad ones. But be ready for a fight and be ready to suffer in your flesh. Now, that's not the fun one, but it's part of the process. And if you try to skip that, you'll never have victory over your giant. So don't skip it. Just go ahead and fight the fight, get through it. I know there's people in here probably, people you probably know, who years ago they should have dealt with something, but it was too painful. And we all have this misconception that it'll just go away as I get older, but it doesn't just go away. Oftentimes, it even gets more rooted and more established in you. And so you might as well fight the fight now, suffer the pain now, get it over with now, so you can live the rest of your life free. Amen. You can live free. The other thing that we need to do, oh, I, I want to pick up on this verse back in 1 Peter 4, this, the second part. Here, here's what, what number 2 says, verse 2. So you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires. Really, there's nothing wrong with your own desires if they're godly. Most other translations will say you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires or sinful desires or fleshly desires or carnal desires. God gives us desires, so there's nothing wrong with desires, but if they're evil or fleshly or sinful, we don't want to spend the rest of our life chasing those. That's why we want to create a new neural pathway. We want to create a different way of thinking and living so that we won't be doing that, but we'll be anxious to do the will of God. We'll be anxious to do the will of God. The third thing in following this process that David went through is you'll notice that David put his confidence in God. His confidence is always in God. You, you don't see that when other people talk. When Goliath comes out, he says, are you not servants of Saul? Did David see himself as a servant of Saul? He saw himself as a servant of the Most High God. And even the people say, this guy defies the army of Israel. David doesn't say it. David says, you defy the armies of of the living God. He, he's putting his confidence in God. When he's talking with, with Saul, he says, the Lord delivered me out of the hand of the bear. The Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. It's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. There's no confidence in the flesh. There's no confidence in his, his weapon. There's confidence in God. So we place his confidence in God, not in ourselves. You may say, I've got a great plan, though, Tracy. I think the plan will work. I'm all for having a great plan. But you need to have ultimate confidence in God. Well, I've got a great coach or mentor or trainer. Okay, that's all fine, and I'm for that. But ultimately, your hope better be in God because God is the source. And so keep putting our confidence back in, in, in God, back in God, back in God. And you'll have days where you're emotionally high when you're working for a goal. And you'll say to yourself, I can do this thing. Well, that's fine. But if you've ever moved towards a goal, you realize that you don't have that every day. That emotional, man, I can do this thing. Sometimes you wake up and go, I don't even want to get out of bed. But now I've got to accomplish all this stuff. Uh oh Well, you've got confidence in God. Don't have confidence in yourself. Another thing people get so confused about, I used to too, 
is you'd, you'd have this process, and you'd think, well, I got this process where I'm going to start something, and, you know, I'll have the first part of it, and then I'll have the middle, and then I'll have the end. I want to start strong, finish strong, stay strong in the middle. But I figured out if I had a goal that took me 100 days to reach, the first third of the goal was day one. Day two through 99 was the middle, and day 100 was the end. So you say, I'm going to stay strong at the beginning and at the end. That's fine because they're about one day long. It's all the stuff in the middle that we have to keep pressing forward and keep having confidence in God. The fourth thing that we see about David is he makes this bold declaration of victory. This bold declaration of victory. I, I love the guy. I mean, I, I assume he's... By the way, I want to say this. It was not a little boy. If you'll read the previous chapter, Hebrew, or help me with my Bible verses, God, uh, if you'll look at 1 Samuel 16, he's actually been the king's palace playing the instrument for him and, and, and worshiping and calming this evil spirit that plagued, Paul, or plagued Saul. And he was made one of was Saul's armor bearers. So he's not like a little kid. He was made one of Saul's armor bearers. But what he was was he was barely past that. He was a young man. He was a youth. And so he goes out to battle and... Uh, Goliath looks at him and looks at him and says, he, he looked at him and saw that he was barely past being a boy. He was a young man. His face was handsome. The King James says ruddy. It looked just red and glowing and looked like he hadn't started shaving yet. You know, he was just ruddy face, handsome. And the Bible says that Goliath despised him. I picture Goliath had a few battle scars on him, a few tears, a few scars, a few, you know, he'd been fighting. And uh, he looks at this kid, and he despises him. He said, what am I, a dog? That you come out here with a stick? Some people say, he didn't have a stick, did he? He thought he had a sling. If you read earlier, it says, he went before him with only a staff and his sling. Now, I don't know if he threw the sling down or if he strapped it on his back or what, but he starts out with that. And he says, Goliath tells him, I'm going to give your body to feed the animals and the fowls of the air and the animals of the ground. And David says, a bold declaration of faith, David says, are you done now? Because I'm going to tell you how this is really going to happen. What's going to happen is you come to me with a javelin and a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> you got some giants to slay? Come in the name of the Lord God Almighty. He says, I come in the name of the Lord God Almighty, and all the earth is going to know this day that there is a God in Israel. Wow, what a testimony. Wouldn't it be nice if people looked at you and said, when I look at them, the whole world knows there is a Jesus. There is a God, and he, it's, he's in them. And so he says, this day, the whole earth is going to know that there is a God in Israel. I'll tell you something else the earth is going to know, he says. They're going to know that our God doesn't save by sword and spear and shield and javelin. Our God is mighty, for the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. The battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. And then he does something phenomenal. It says that as Goliath approached the battlefield, it says David ran to meet him. This guy's crazy. He runs to meet this giant of a man. You know why? Because he knows this day, the Lord is going to deliver. Oh, by the way, he gets very specific. He says, I'm going to kill you and cut off your head. He says, I just want to give you all the details, what's going to happen here in just a little bit. I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to cut off your head. 
And you know what he does? He kills him and cuts off his head. One stone in the head. It's kind of confusing whether that stone actually kills him. It says he dropped face down. Then it says he pulls out Goliath's sword, kills him with it, and then takes off his head. Now, this is a different world they lived in, man, because I can't imagine, you know, me going out and saying, well, I think I'll just go chop off the guy's head. He chops off the guy's head, holds it up. He's, he's in victory. He's done exactly what he said he was going to do by the power of God, by the power of the Lord. So make a bold declaration of faith. Make a bold direct declaration about the goodness of God, the power of God in your life. And, you know, these giants, I want to encourage me and you, let's just run to meet them. Let's quit hiding. Let's quit cowering. Let's quit ducking around stuff and looking. Let's just say, hey, let's just go get in the fight. Let's just go get in the fray. It's, it's God's the one that gives us victory anyway, not ourselves. And so he just goes, makes a bold declaration. The fifth thing is this. Show no mercy. Show no mercy. I want to make this plain. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about spiritual battles. Show no mercy. Don't give the devil a foothold. He turns a foothold into a stronghold. It's easier to get out of a foothold than a stronghold. For those of you who are wrestlers, you just hit the giant of this bad habit, this weight, this sin in the head, pull out its sword, kill it, cut off its head, hold it up in victory, and show no mercy. Have you ever watched a show where there's this heinous, evil, awful, murderous, sadistic bad guy in the movie, okay? And the good guy's been hunting them throughout the whole movie. And they're squared up with one another. And the good guy's got a gun. And the bad guy is just, you know, he's just talking. And I'm sorry, it's just a movie, but I just want to say, just shoot him. <laughs> Quit having a conversation with him. And it just drives me insane. It's like, no, we already know this guy's killed 25 people, maimed another 50. <laughs> we know this. Just, and then you have a conversation. just irks the life out of me. But I guess that's just movies. Like, you, there's no sense having a conversation with him, giving him some chance to escape or come up with a plan or a plot. Just shoot. On the rare times where the bad guy starts to talk and the good guy just shoots him, I go, thank you, thank you. I know it sounds horrible, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you. There's no need to have a conversation. So when the devil says, well, let's just talk about this for, yeah, there you go, done. Let's, well, hold on now, you know, you and I have been together for, just cut off his head. You know, again, we're talking about spiritual battles, not people. If people's faces are coming to your mind right now, you know, get that out of your head. Uh, we're talking about spiritual battles. The thing I want you to know is, first of all, Satan is a liar. Satan and sin will not deliver what they promised. Do you remember how this all started? I am Goliath of Gath, a champion. Send out a warrior to fight me. And if your warrior beats me, us Philistines will be your servants. And if we beat you, then the Israelites will be our servants. When he takes down Goliath, what do the Philistines do? They run. They don't say, hey, fair and square, you know, we're yours. What do you want us to do? No, they run. They peel out. The devil's a liar. He promises you the moon. He delivers a bunch of dirt. That's all. He, he's a liar. The truth isn't in him. Sin nor Satan will ever deliver what they promised. It'll never be what they said it was going to be. And so they got no intention of delivering it. So just be strong. Show no mercy. Go forward. 
Go ahead and take off the head of whatever giant is bothering you and enjoy your reward. Don't forget all of his benefits. There's benefits to having victory. So I want to recap our assignment. Focus on the reward. Don't forget that. Very important. Number two is where we, most of us lose it. But we don't have to. Be prepared for a fight and be prepared to suffer in your flesh. Now, I, I wish every time we faced a giant, it was as clean as it was with David and Goliath. But if you read through the Old Testament, a lot of fights weren't that clean and weren't that easy. This one was. So you just got to be prepared. Load up your bag with rocks. Load up the quiver. Do what you have to do and suffer in your flesh. And I want you to know, God is the source of this. But you do see that David cooperated, right? I mean, you want to say, well, I'll just, I'm just going to binge watch you know, some series on TV this weekend, offer up a two-second prayer to God to deliver me. But God wants to get you in the fight. Get in the fight. Get in the fray. Get out there. So David had something he was going to do, but he knew he couldn't succeed unless God empowered him. And so that's our task. I'm going to do what God's called us to do. I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to do what the Word of God says. But I know this ultimately, he has to empower me or I won't have success. Place your confidence in God. Make a bold declaration of victory and show no mercy. Show no mercy against that besetting, annoying, pestering sin, weight, or bad habit that keeps holding you back. And I, I know this. We can do it because of him.